0: You're listening to Culture and Christianity, a podcast of In Town Community Church. You will find in the description for this episode links to handouts and resources that are mentioned during this episode. Thanks for listening. Welcome. My name is Steve Yates. If you don't know me or visiting one of the pastors here at In Town, um, to say really excited to be here with you might be a little bit of a misnomer um, and, uh, no, I'm excited. I'm, well, the question I just had you guys ask, what feelings are you bringing to the table? I'm sure some of you are bringing legitimate excitement, interest, just wonder. Others of you bringing deep emotions. You have, uh, friends, family members Um, individuals who, uh, when you think about the questions that we're going to be talking about today, their faces come to mind. Um, You're having very specific thoughts with that. Uh, For others of you, there might be anger or frustration at a more ideological level as we're wrestling with our culture or with (laughs) politics or kind of some sort of position therein. There's a lot Let me tell you what I'm feeling, and that way you know how to pray for me, and I can pray for you all, and then we will just sort of jump in. I'm, like I said, feeling a lot. Um, I'm honored. I'll tell you, I'm honored. Um, The reality is still that with the exception of a couple of wonderful young knuckleheads that are in the room here, I'm the youngest guy in the room. And so there's a reality to the fact that you all would sit and want to listen at all. And that means a lot to me. I have uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of connections to people in the LGBTQ community throughout my life. Um, I was a theater major, and uh, that meant that day in and day out, uh, I had a lot of connection with a disproportionate number of people from that community while I was in college. That was actually one of the driving forces that actually moved me into thinking about the PCA as a denomination, was trying to struggle through questions about what I believed about sexuality and scripture, but also questions of practicality. How do I interact with my friends, these people I love deeply, while holding the positions that I think I'm supposed to be holding? And that has kind of played itself out into the modern day, where we have... Um, you know, we're in youth ministry In youth ministry as a, a professor I love to read named Kendra De Creasy Dean says is the R&D department of the church. There's just something special and strange about a bunch of wonderful young people getting together who have fewer social norms and fewer brain cells and somehow can um, ask great questions they don't know they're not supposed to ask which makes it even better because they then get to ask them and we get to have real conversation and so that leads me to kind of my interest in this topic. At the same time, I am incredibly anxious and terrified for a lot of reasons. I care deeply about what you all think of me, A, because maybe, you know, I'm just a sinner and a perfectionist who cares, but also because I spend so much time with the children and the youth of this church and the reality of, of what could my opinions about a topic like this um, give light or give, um, give shadow to what our students are learning or are confidence in that. I'm anxious about what the outside world would think about our church. I'm anxious about <clears throat> whether or not kind of the winds of politics could somehow infect who we are and what we do here. I also think a lot about, <clears throat> and I'm anxious a lot about, um, again, the, the members of the LGBTQ community that I know and love and what they would think. I'm anxious about the fact that I, I do believe what I believe about Scripture <clears throat> would bring some of them pain, even if I believe that it's true. And so I also think deeply about the conversations that I will be having after this with some people I know and love not to backtrack or even apologize for what we're going to talk about over these four weeks and at the same time to be hopefully sad or sadly hopeful with them as we kind of continue to walk through those topics. So I'm bringing a lot to the table. And again, as many of you are, I just want to get that out there because... While I never want to assume that any of the other topics that we have talked about in culture and Christianity are not divisive or emotionally charged, the fact that we have a packed room in the middle of July tells me there's something special about this topic. And so it's just helpful for us all to know what baggage we're bringing to this. Hopefully that can help you um, have even more empathy and a uh, posture of Christ not only to the ideas we're going to be talking about, but also to the people at your own table and the people at other other tables, that that we could be gracious in our conversation. We can be truthful, we can be honest, but we could be gracious and Christ-honoring in Uh, the questions we ask, the way we ask them, the posture of openness that we might have towards one another because we're all coming to this, not as some hypothetical other conversation that we're having here in our little church cohort so that we can deal with the big bad world out there, but rather as a real living thing that we are all dealing with, some of us very, very personally. So with all of that, let's pray, and we're going to jump in. Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy, mercy. Have mercy on us who have and do sin a lot against other sinners. Lord God, have mercy on us for our attitudes and our postures. Also have mercy on us, Lord God, for not reading your word well and not sometimes standing for truth. Have mercy on us, Lord God, as we sometimes struggle with both of these poles that they are so emotionally charged and so personally deep. Lord God, may all of us in this room be here not to gain ammunition, to win a war of culture or ideas, nor to be here and only to hear what will reinforce our already preconceived understandings. But Lord God, would you, Holy Spirit, open us up to your word and to each other that you might change us, changing us not to Steve Yates' perspective, changing us not to this expert or that scholar, but Holy Spirit more and more conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ who is both the way, the truth, and the life, holiness incarnate, and could sit and eat and laugh with those who represented in some respects so much of what He was not because of his deep love for that which his father has made. Have mercy on us, Lord Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. There's a reality to what uh, we're going to be talking about today, and one of those realities is this. Part of me desperately wishes we weren't talking about it on a Sunday morning. It's not because I don't want to talk about it in church. In fact, this is a great place for us to talk about it. It really is just that Some of the things we're gonna be talking about in this four weeks are um, very detailed and very linguistically constructed. And by that I mean this, language matters. And everyone and their brother uses certain terms differently and means different things by those terms. And if you don't know what I'm not saying, then you might be in a Princess Bride moment and think that I mean something that I don't think that it means what it actually means. And so because of that, today's very important. Today you might feel like we don't actually say much of anything, though I hope that's not actually true, but it's very, very important for us to get the chess pieces on the board before we start moving things around, lest, again, you assume something that I'm not saying. Also, that means if you have a friend next week who wants to come, who couldn't make it this week, please have them listen to the podcast or watch the video or just give them the handout, sit with them, maybe listen to it with them, talk with them about this, so that when they come next week, Um, or in the weeks after, they likewise do not think I am saying what I'm not saying, or that in-town is saying what in-town is not saying, because language matters. So let's all get on the same place with respect to the language, at least, that you're going to be hearing from me. I'm not saying this is what you have to mean by all of these things, or what you would mean by all of these things, but again, this is how we're going to be using them over the next four weeks. All right, first of all, the biggies, the umbrella terms, if you will, trans and transgender. All right, trans and transgender um, are, again, umbrella terms that are often used both by individuals who would themselves see these terms as somewhat defining of them, but also in kind of the scholarly realm as referring to any individual who has um, any experience at all of what individuals would call gender incongruence. And what gender incongruence means, and we're here on the kind of first pink paragraph there, gender incongruence is the idea that an individual's perception of who they are with respect to their gender and whatever that means for them or not, there is somehow an incongruity between that and what is biologically and or culturally expected of them. Most individuals who would um, see themselves as having this idea of gender incongruence are actually going to use this word here, trans, Um, that's not a shorthand or or some sort of kind of cool slang. They're actually using that intentionally um, so as to not kind of dehumanize themselves by delving into long scholarly words. Um, Nonetheless, um, a lot of the books you're going to read or news articles that you're going to read will also use transgender or transgenderism um, as a term as well. You know, the best thing to do if you are talking with someone who uh, might be trans is to ask them. Why? Because conversation, as you will find out, is a really, really big deal in this whole conversation. Um, Ask them. This doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be the exact first thing you do when you meet somebody who may or may not be trans how do you refer to yourself in not a pronoun sense but in a ideological sexual gendered concept sense it probably shouldn't be the first thing but it could be a wonderful honoring thing at the same time to say hey tell me about tell me about your journey tell me about this and pick up on some of the language that you see Sometimes the idea of gender incongruence is also referred to as gender dysphoria. And gender dysphoria is actually uh, present in the DSM-5, which, if you don't know, is the kind of code book for all um, medical psychological diagnoses. Um, and so that means that gender dysphoria has um, a medical rider to it in some places and ways. And so for some people, it is, it is not synonymous. For some people, it is even something that would say, no, no, I feel this, but I'm not that. Whereas, again, for other people or other books or things that you'll read, you will see them as Synonymous. Moving down to the white block there, what about fill in the blank? This is a catch-all for a couple of different terms that I um, ran into personally. The first one, I actually want to tell you a story about, transsexuality, before we define it. If you are someone who likes reading in the bathroom um, of this church right here, um, you might even realize that we have... uh, uh, ads or not ads announcements that are in the stalls or at the urinal and for a while I actually even called this transsexuality just as kind of a placeholder um, I hadn't really come up with a title yet for this and I'd even like to just say kind of on record here this is an example of language mattering and learning about language changing one's perception I started to read and talk to some people about some of these and uh, definitions and realized, ooh, that is not even something I would have wanted as a placeholder. Why? Because many individuals within the trans community do not see sexuality and sexual preference or sexual orientation as de facto connected to their experience of gender incongruence. For instance, an example, you might have an individual who is biologically male. That individual feels a sense of gender incongruence. They feel female. However, their sexual attraction might be to women. At some point here, are we talking about heterosexuality or homosexuality or something in between? Now, people will laugh about that, and that's not at all what I'm, what I'm saying, but I am referring to the, the, the messiness of that as t- to why that term is actually something that's often not used with re- reference to the trans movement unless an individual is also transitioning their sexual orientation or sexual preferences. Some people will bring up the idea of intersex individuals, intersex is also a biological component um, or a biological condition whereby uh, an individual has uh, an extra or a difference in their chromosomal makeup. Many of you know that uh, for the vast majority of people in this room, we have uh, XX or XY chromosomes. There are a small percentage of the population that do have something a little bit different, often due to extra chromosomes being added or taken away during um, the process of uh, an individual coming into being. Very important this, um, less than one percent of individuals who have that medical genetic condition ever experience any form of gender incongruence or gender dysphoria. Just wanting to kind of kind of put that out there. Often, sometimes in the media, it can be kind of thrown out that, oh, people are trans because dot, dot, dot. And one of the things that gets thrown on the table as an idea is some sort of intersex idea. Not the case. You may run into the term cisgender or um, connected to a certain Um, expression of gender, like a cis man or a cis woman, cis male, cis female. This is a synonym for anyone who's not trans. Um, Again, I said sometimes shortened to cis, created to avoid the comparison of normal versus trans people. Um, Some of you might um, chafe at that a little bit um, because of the idea of normalcy and what we're going to talk about with respect to normalcy being connected or not to biblical norms. But at the same time, think about what it would be like if you were talking to someone else and someone else defined themselves as normal and you as the other in their conversation, that could be painful. You know, we have experienced this right in lots of different ways, whether it's we have norms about um, being a certain ethnicity, norms about being a certain gender, norms, you know, imagine if all bathrooms had urinals. Ladies, how frustrated would you be if all bathrooms had half of their toilets in them as urinals and thus either you'd become very creative very quickly or you would be frustrated that you could only use half of the toilets in your bathroom, right? This can feel a little bit, again, absurd or strange, but but it at least is a conversation worth having. And then also, as we'll get into this in a minute, but the idea of non-binary, people who do not consider themselves either male or female, but a combination of both or neither. We'll talk about other gender norms here in just a moment. How is somebody defined? So I want to take just a minute again and kind of get to your table. So if you're Um, Not sitting with some people, or not sitting with some people that um, you're not related to and would like to move around. It's okay. This is your moment to confess that you didn't shower this morning. And come to a conversation just for a couple of minutes, two or three minutes, about this. How is someone defined? And I'm not only going to gender here. We can talk about lots of different things. But have that conversation. Ask that question amongst yourselves for just a minute How is someone defined? Go. All right, all right. Any brave individuals want to raise a hand real quick and just give us an example of something you guys came up with? Any not brave individuals want to do the same thing? Yes. Okay, so at least, at least if we're not going, what, how is someone defined? We at least get a um, not sexuality, gender. Okay, all right, personality. What else? I've got one, you. Please. Yes. Okay in the culture today to me is the debate between are we created in God's image, eventually. Or are we self-existent? Okay. If we're self-existent, then we struggle to continue to redefine ourselves, and that's what's happening in the culture today. Is I don't know who I am today. I don't know who I am today. I don't know who I am today. Yes, yes. So we uh, can define ourselves by... Um, this is sort of the question of origin slash purpose. This sense of where, where do we come from? What are we here for? Which deals with that idea of definition, but also has to do with you know the why, the what. How did I? How did we come to be? And whether there are questions of authority or um, or meaning in that. Very much so. But yes. More base, I guess. Is what's your job? Uh, yes. job. <laughs> Appearance. You know, I'm like, we, we can joke about this, right? But like, like, I know for certain, seven years ago when I met Shannon here, I knew for a fact you were a well-dressed um, lady who has a, a wonderful southern accent. And, you know, and, but like, but even there, that category immediately puts you in a spot in my mind could have some good things could have some bad things could have some whatever things it at least helped me know immediately that you were not sue Birch. like not <laughs> <laughs> oh my not gonna go there no but but categorization matters right categorization definition matters wonderful 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 I'd love actually to push back. We could do this for a while. I'd love to push back. um, Sutton, you know I care about you a lot, and so I'm going to come pick on you (laughs) back, really because, you know, my wife's there. No. But um, if that's the case, though, you guys said that you did not see not sexuality, gender as an immediate thing. What were you referring to? Were you referring to... Um, Well, you, you just tell me, what were you referring to with that in your conversation? Now I'm only going to pick on, because you're my deep friend and I love you so much. <laughs> did you hear what you just did? Now I'm not, I'm not picking on a negative thing, but don't you see how, on one hand, I want to totally affirm what you guys said, right? Like, if I'm introducing someone, I don't have my sexual preferences, for instance, Um, on a card that I hand you and you immediately know that or not I don't have a number of the things you know you all could could look at me as dressed I am and figure out some things about me and not at all figure out other things about me and yet also gender or at least perceived gender and the cultural things around that are actually one of the most powerful of definers that we have because visually and culturally, they can often be the most apparent. So I was actually hoping somebody would do that Sutton, so I'm not kicking I'm not on you in uh, really, no. But um, how is someone defined? In the literature and in kind of the cultural conversation, we might think of two questions being most important here. The question of sex, and the question of gender and the definitions therein. It will not surprise you that both of them are to some degree contestable. Sex, biological sex is usually meant to refer to someone's chromosomal makeup, which there is no way at all for us to shift or change scientifically um, at all. We are who we are, who we are. Um, with respect to the DNA coding which we have at the genetic level. Now, of course, whether that influences what we look like or whatnot is a question. Some would also see biological sex as referring to one's reproductive organs or even the secondary effects of one's reproductive system. On the other hand, gender becomes even more contestable. And I have some things there about gender identity, how one views their own gender, and then the idea of expression or presentation, how one presents their own understandings of what it means to be that gender in society, in culture. And then, of course, I also, just for the sake of you understanding the idea of orientation, we already talked about that with transsexuality, and then this term transition, which we won't talk about a lot today, but you'll hear a little bit more about later, the idea of an individual who experiences gender incongruence and makes a choice to make a change, whether that is medically, hormonally, culturally, fashion, whatever in nature, to more align oneself and their expression and their presentation with how they feel they should be. Um, All of those terms. But the question of gender, oh, it's hard, it's complicated. And as much as you can reduce any of this down, It is most easily reduced down to two deep seated questions in our culture. The question of whether or not gender is a constructed thing or not, and whether it is on a spectrum. I'm not gonna make you uh, pick where you fall on these and kind of out yourself in that way, but the question of gender is gender culturally constructed? I'd like to offer to you all today that the answer is yes and no. The answer is no and yes. Flip your sheet over if you have it for a second. Let's look at some scripture. This is Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock. And over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then this is from Genesis 2. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper who is fit for him. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Obviously, the place of origins is probably the easiest place to go to find terms or norms, if you will. And we see in this text a couple of things I do want to highlight that would make us land on the idea of gender being culturally construed as no, specifically the idea that we see here what male and female no it's actually not where i want to go yet what we see is that god says to make something in my image that will image me in a way that the rest of creation does not image me right we can say that creation images god in lots of different ways it's beauty it's creativity in the same way that you know a rembrandt painting imaged things about Rembrandt in some pretty awesome ways. But actually, Rembrandt's an interesting example, right? Because if you know anything about that Renaissance painter, you know that he actually liked to put himself in most of his paintings. And so for Rembrandt to not just create paintings that said something about him, but to put himself into his work was a big deal. And we have God here saying, I'm going to put myself into creation. How do I put myself into creation? To put myself into creation in such a way as it will sufficiently image me requires not only sameness, but difference as well. It requires both of those things. It requires sameness. We have let us make man in our image and let them. There is this idea of community, of a group of people together imaging God. We have this beautiful Trinitarian view there, don't we? But also then this idea that that them will even within itself also have difference. And specifically here we have Male and female, he created him. Now, that easily can sound like, all right, well, it's right there in the Bible. Case closed. Close everything. <laughs> shove it away. I want to make sure we don't do that, right? Because there is a sense in which people would ask, well, that's mentioned there, but is that just normal? Is that is that, is that conducive to, to everything? Could there be others just because we have this statement here? I, I want to be... I want to be caring to those discussions, right? I don't want to be dismissive of people. It's one of the reasons here why um, I think Genesis 2 is very, very helpful. This idea of the the why of um, man and woman kind of becoming together. You see, a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, they shall become one flesh. I want to make sure that we don't I don't want to say here that marriage or childbirth are requirements for an individual to image God sufficiently, right? Jesus was not married, had no sexual intercourse, had no children, is the image of God, literally. Many, many others as well in scriptures celebrated for their singleness Others married, we have no reference to whether or not they had children or not. Nonetheless, Jesus is going to refer to this later as well in the book of Matthew, that one of the key aspects of that sameness but also difference is the ability for this man and this woman to image God in a unique way, sexually. Now again, how, how does that play into our conversation about trans? Well, if you flip back over and you see no, we realize that there are biological differences between men and women. Again, I don't want to say that as some sort of duh thing. No, there's a, there's a reality to that that we need to feel. There are biological differences. Now these are normative, right? Um, I am not stronger than every woman in all of creation by any means, but genetically and because of the experience of my body to the hormones that I have had in my whole life, I am at least 15% denser in terms of my bone structure and the ability of my bones to hold mass on my frame than any of the women in this room. The hormones that did this to my own body also increase aggression. They increase the um, productivity of, of adrenaline hormones, um, the types of things that will further um, motivate me to desire to you know, see a, a paper towel tube and pick it up and want to hit my children over the head with it <laughs> rather than hold it like a baby and wrap it in toilet paper. Um, this is real. No, no, see, I'm joking about this, but this is, this is real. This is real. This is, this is genetically in, in us. Female reproductive capability and hormones do contribute to the relational connectivity we have as individuals. Now, again, all of us have both testosterone and uh, the various cocktail of female hormones, um, estrogen, progesterone, and others um, in our bodies. We're not at all saying men cannot connect with other people as well, but these, these are biological facts. So is gender culturally constructed? In some respects, no. My experience of who I am will always be connected to some of the things in my own biology. And also, yes, and we want to be very, very careful that we understand why no and a yes kind of sits here together. Individuals who would want to say that gender is not at all ever culturally constructed at all are arguing this from a place of, I think, often fear, or at least in a reaction to kind of the other side of the poll, which would say, Again, that if, if gender is always something that gets defined, then you can say that it is whatever it is, and there there is kind of no rooting in some of the concepts that we just talked about here. Consider this, though: in the 19th century, British boys favored pink over blue. Why? Because it was a youthful version of the red coat military color that they saw all the time. Samurai in the Edo period in Japan favored poetry, and favored painting and watercolor, specifically because of its refined capability. It meant they didn't have to be agricultural workers. Agriculture in some societies in the ancient world was seen only as a woman's job and hunting only as a man's job. Whereas in many places in the Midwest today... Being a, you know, Dodge truck driving farm guy is just about as masculine as the Super Bowl football commercials we watch would drive us to want to be. We could go on and on and on about how dangerous it is for us to take our gendered, complete gendered norms and place them on the entirety of history. So we have to be very, very careful about that. The other question, and the question I kind of want to end with today is consider the difference of gender as a spectrum. Because of its cultural construction or not, it is often said that, well, the answer to this is just saying that gender is a spectrum. And we can say that there are masculine men and we can say that there are feminine women and then we can say that we just kind of all fall wherever on the spectrum. Those who would push against this idea obviously are thinking about it because of this middle ground here. Who is a person? What are they? There can seem to be sort of that worry there. But didn't we just affirm this idea of uh, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 in saying that that there is actually something important to the biological distinction between men and women, but also something important in the continued relational, sexual, biological expression of those things. We didn't have time to go into this, but um, we will in some of the coming weeks in greater places. But throughout the rest of Scripture, anytime any context of trans is talked about, It's usually in the form of cross-dressing or some sort of cross-expression. It's there in the book of Leviticus. It shows up again in Numbers. And the idea behind many of these things is this idea that, that if the people of God are set apart, if we are the people who are about this blue block right here, if we're that kind of people, then what does it mean for us to have a culturally constructed idea of gender norms that is congruent with what is scripturally true out of creation? And I think that's where a lot of people struggle, Christians struggle with an idea of a gendered spectrum. So I'd like to offer... This sort of as a, a constructive place for us to think and close for the day that might help. I'd like to offer a two-spectrum model. And this maybe helps us with <laughs> my youth joke all the time that I make things too complex. No, not too complex, just I make things complex, or, or I say everything is complex. Why? Because it is. <laughs> Uh, one of a uh, person I care about very deeply said that important questions don't have cheap answers, and because of that, the cheapness of a yes or a no is not something that you all signed up for today. I offer this two spectrums. And what I mean by two spectrums is this culture norms matter, culture norms exist. What we think of as maleness, and femaleness in this room, though it would not line up 100% across the board um, together because we all come from different places and whatnot, that's there, and it's not going anywhere. And there's some real usefulness and care to that. At the same time, it's often leveraged, as you know, as a sledgehammer to say, this boy is not boy enough. Or this girl is not girl enough. Those enoughs are knives that hurt individuals deeply. And I believe are often where some individuals, not all, and we'll talk about this in the coming weeks, there's just not enough time for us to talk about everything today, but some individuals who experience gender incongruence do so out of their own reaction to some of those enoughs. Because we don't use gender the way Jesus would call us to use gender. So what I want to offer is this two-stage model, which is to say this. Your son or daughter, your mother or father, your friend or neighbor has a biological sex. They do. If they have changes in their biology that are self-promoted or changes that come from some other place regardless they have a biological sex but their expression of that is going to fall obviously on lots of different places the question for us and the question especially for those who we have authority over or relationship with so like our children or our friends or our co-workers or whatever the question is not are you being Man enough? Are you being woman enough? The question is Are you imaging God in such a way as it is not bringing confusion but clarity to who God is? I'll say that again. It is not about are you man enough or woman enough, it is are you bringing clarity and not confusion to God, his image, and who he is. As the people of God, we need to sit with that question. I'm not going to give you an answer, in part because I don't necessarily know an easy answer that wouldn't take us an hour and a bunch of coffee to sit and talk about together. But we need to be able to talk about, because this is what the Old Testament does. The Old Testament is not saying, people of God, men of God, you you have to look like this. It is saying, men of God, you have to not look like the other nations around you who aren't showing God for who he is. Now, here's the problem. What this looks like is also culturally constructed. In some respects, this is a conversation we are going to have in every age and in every generation. How can we affirm what we can about the presentation of gender and where must we push back and where do we not make assumptions on either side? told you I wasn't going to have a lot of answers. There's a lot of questions here. We're going to talk about a couple of these questions that you all have sent in in the next couple of weeks. I will have a resource list for you. Please know, send me an email, write me a text come see me i'd love to sit down with you further what we're going to do in the next couple of weeks and i'm going to pray and we're going to go worship is this and we'll have a lot more time for questions over the next three weeks the psychologist uh, mark yarhouse a wonderful guy out of wheaton college um, has a three-stage breakdown to how different people view and interact with individuals who are trans And we're going to use that three-stage background as three different lenses to look at the idea of trans and transgenderism. We're going to use the terms that we talked about today. We're going to talk about why in our culture the idea of trans is often seen as a diversity issue that must be celebrated or not, and how we deal with that. That's often kind of the ideological place. We're going to talk about how... um, scripturally, there seems to be this discontinuity between individuals who would say they're one thing and actually are something else, and how we deal with that. And we're gonna talk about the reality that actually most, the vast majority of individuals who struggle with gender incongruence are not on either one of those poles whatsoever. And you would never know, but they're actually just hurting and suffering They're people, and we need to care about them and not see them as a political opponent or a theological issue to solve. But that's the next three weeks. So let's pray. And let's know this I'm saying this to you, but I mean it to me as well. We don't have all of the answers today. Let's go into worship not being distracted by this issue. In worship, but rather allowing this and the fact that God was not freaked out about the rise in transgenderism. He is not freaked out by the questions you and I have. He welcomes them as a part of our relationship with Him. Let's let this conversation motivate us to go worship. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Very sticky, but hopeful nonetheless. We ask that you would bless the conversations to follow. Have mercy on us, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Culture and Christianity. Intown Community Church is located in Atlanta, Georgia. You can find out more information about our church on our website, intown.org. If you would like more information, please contact us at askintown at intown.org.